Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, funny, informative, and always encouraging weekly blog. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Sun Gray. Today we have two guests who not only share their lives, but also their creative love of music. Operatically trained vocalist Miss Stephanie Smittle and her partner Stephen Cook, founder and host of the syndicated radio show Arkansongs. Stephanie's love of music is wide, evident by her list of work and performances. In the Smittle Band, she sings a smoothie jazz style of music. On the weekends, she sings sacred music as cantor and chorister at Trinity Episcopal Cathedral. And on her side gigs, you might find her sitting in with any number of bands, ranging from folk music to performing with the Arkansas Symphony and other operatic productions. Her longtime partner, Mr. Stephen Cook, shares in her love of music. In 1998, Stephen began a two-hour program on KABF in Little Rock, Arkansas, where he dug deep into the music pioneers of Arkansas. Without Stephen's love of music and due diligence at uncovering these musicians' songs and stories, many important artists might have been lost. In addition to their dedication to music, both Stephanie and Stephen are journalists and contributing editors of the Arkansas Times newspaper. It is with great pleasure I welcome to the table Arkansas's cultural attaches, Miss Stephanie Smittle and Mr. Stephen Cook. Is this the first time you've ever been called an attache? <laughs> to my face. <laughs> <laughs> I know both of you. I just want to tell our listeners I know both of you. And I wrote cultural attache. I thought, I love that. <laughs> um, okay, who wants to tell me how you two first met? Go ahead, Steph. All right, tell us, Stephanie. Uh, I guess it was... 2010, and um, Stephen and I met at a friend's Christmas party and uh, just got to talking and uh, found that we shared a lot in terms of, um, you know, an experimental approach to music and um, just, you know, I I ended up giving him uh, the Smittle Band album, which was very new at the time, and uh, I guess the rest is history. So I became a fan. Almost 10 years. You, yeah, you did. You became a real fan. So you <laughs> started the Smittle Band and met Stephen in the same year. Uh, a few months apart. A few months apart. Yeah, that's right. I had uh, a dear friend, uh, Elizabeth, who is a fabulous singer, and had gone uh, for an audition. She saw some sort of advertisements from the the fellows that I ended up playing with in this middle band that said that they were looking for, and I love this. They didn't say they were looking for a female vocalist. They said they were looking for a girl singer. And so my <laughs> friend Elizabeth, who is a fabulous girl singer said, Oh, I'm just going to go try. And she ended up jamming with them for the evening, loved it, but had this like little voice in the back of her head that was telling her something. And so as she told me later, she ended up calling the fellows in this middle band at that time. It was with Walker 
Ray Wittenberg and Jim McGee at that time. And she said that she really enjoyed the evening. The songs they played were a blast, but that she couldn't help but think of a whole night uh, of, of her friend Stephanie and that she said, you know, I don't think that I'm your person for this band and this repertoire, but I think I know who is. And so she passed along my number. We all connected and got together one night and played a bunch of like, I'm sure we played Rolling Stones covers and Lucinda Williams and uh, all sorts of things and just really stuck from there. And we all were in a space where we could um, just kind of be a little bit uh, free creatively and a little bit vulnerable uh, creatively, you know, and uh, none of us having having any other like projects where uh, certainly it was my first time singing in front of a band. The guys had all been in bands before, but we're kind of looking to stretch, stretch their wings a little bit into some different repertoire. And so, yeah. And then we, we started kind of the songwriting process just came along naturally. Well, you were born in cave city, Stephanie on a chicken farm. So how did you make that leap to this love of music and where did it begin? Sure. Well, uh, so I was born in Cave Springs. It's um, a little tiny town in between Rogers, Bentonville, Springdale, Fayetteville. It was population 969 when I went to high school, and it's something like 4,900 now. So it's it's a little bit of a boom town. Did they have a music program at all? <laughs> well, uh, like... Like most people from small towns, I got my start and my initial sort of hook into music was in church. And so I did my first solo in church, I'm told, when I was not tall enough to see over the banister that, you know, in Baptist churches, it's very common. You have that little banister with a little curtain on the on the bottom of the stage, and I couldn't see over it, so they set up a stool for me, and I sang uh, a solo. I'm sure it was like... Twyla Paris or Sandy Patty or something like that. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I think I must have gotten hooked because I don't think I ever stopped singing in church afterwards. And then I was very, very fortunate to, um, I guess this is a mixed blessing that Cave Springs is too small to have had a school of its own. So I went to Bentonville High School where there was a fabulous mm-hmm. choir program. Still is. Underneath, yeah, a person named Terry Hicks who's uh, still quite involved with the choir program up there and um, got linked into choir and sort of got, you know, got my propers there, I guess, as far as sight singing and learning how to work in an ensemble. Stephen, is that the same story that you remember of how you met Stephanie at a party and started talking over music? That was pretty close. There was, uh, it was a cookie party, as I remember. So there was a lot of cookies being served. So, Probably a sugar rush thing happening. (laughs) (laughs) You were, Stephen, I read where you grew up in the Delta and your father was a DJ. Tell us about that. Well, I always thought it was weird. Stephanie and I, you know, Arkansas is such a small state, but our experiences, you know, growing up are quite different because I was in, you know, the big city. I was in Stuttgart, (laughs) which was like, it was 13,000 people at the time and it's grown smaller of course, during that time, while Stephanie's hometown's gotten bigger, but I felt, uh, you know, I loved music and art. I thought I was going to grow up and be a syndicated cartoonist. 
that was my dream. And I uh, didn't get into playing music, you know, until, well, high school, I started playing drums. And then um, I'm left-handed, so I'd never been able to make sense out of a right-handed guitar. After I graduated college, my friend gave me a right-handed guitar that had been restrung left-handed. And so it was sort of like a door was opened up to me in terms of being able to play or to create my own music. But I'd always loved music, and yeah, my dad was a DJ, and so I was, you know, a little child, and we would listen to, you know, music of Louis Jordan and Muddy Waters, and uh, dad loved ragtime, and so we listened to a lot of weird jazz and uh, weird blues. He liked music that was older than himself, too, you know. He, he was really too young to be in the Louis Jordan demographic, but uh, he'd grown up you know, hearing those songs in the forties when he was a little kid. And was your father uh, anyway, a musician? He was a wannabe <laughs> musician. He had a lot of enthusiasm and not much talent. He liked to play the jaw harp. It looks shaped like a, like a little guitar. If you put it up to your mouth, it's about the size of a harmonica and you sort of, uh, hit this metal peg and breathe in and out and it makes bass notes. <laughs> He played he played uh, Jawhopper on my uh, Excruciating Circumstances album, but yeah, he's the only person I've ever known that can play one of these. That I've seen him on TV, people doing it. Well, is that so, why yeah, you play he, the harmonica? Um, that well, you know, I think that's a great instrument for kids, and so I was playing harmonica from, you know, early grade school on, and I love the harmonica, and I think every kid should be given one. At, Age six. It's interesting that you thought you were going to be a cartoonist, and you, but you've been playing music all your life. Have you also been drawing all your life? Uh, actually, when I kind of got into music in, in high school and college, I sort of left that behind. So it's it's only been in the past few years that I've really been embracing that again. And mostly it's just telling stories, you know, but I love to draw along with it. But I love to have a narrative, and uh, I've been... Uh, doing cartoons on uh, Ozark murder ballads lately. Um, these are songs that are about, you know, crime and retribution, and they're all sort of gathered in the Ozarks uh, in, you know, the 1950s and 40s by John Lomax and all these guys, you know, sung by Granny Riddle and uh, all these famous Ozark people. So I've been illustrating the murder ballads lately. I've read that about you. We're going to talk about that here in a, in a minute. <laughs> but you're both musicians. But you're both also journalists for the Arkansas Times. How did that come about? Did you Were you both already journalists before you met? Stephen has been a journalist for, for far longer than I, uh, d- definitely for longer than I would, yeah, for quite a while. So his, his writing for the Arkansas Times precedes my time at the Arkansas Times, and he's been a contributor for um, for longer than I than I have been there, but I started in 2016 as the arts and entertainment editor there, and didn't really have anything um, on paper. You know, I certainly don't have a journalism degree, but I had a great curiosity for it, and I loved to write. And you live with an editor; he can read all your stuff and edit it before you. You always need. You are only as good as your editor. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So that is very helpful. It's very helpful. And we we definitely have that great luxury of being able to say, can you just look over this? Uh, so it's, it's great to have that that partnership. But I will uh, I will say that 
when I jumped in to writing, um, that, that's pretty much what I had. I, I didn't didn't have a, a resume that said I could do it. I just had uh, written a few pieces, and um, my I like to think that my editor at the Arkansas Times has a great talent for hiring. So uh, I'm still loving it, and uh, it's given me a chance to sort of delve into a lot of the music that's going on now, but also a lot of the the music that I didn't know about that's from my own backyard. And, and some of that has undoubtedly coming, uh, undoubtedly come from a living with a person who, you know, for whom names like Louis Jordan uh, are, are literally. Sister Rosetta Tharp, all those, mm-hmm. uh, all those, um, there was a you had a bunch of them. I saw Sufi Nude Squad. Whoever and heard of them? No. Sufi Nude uh, Squad. Yeah, have you heard of them? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I listen to Arkansas, Mom. <laughs> there you Thank go. You. Uh, <laughs> Stephen, why did you study journalism and not music in college? Oh well, I was never. You know, Stephanie's the real musical talent. I'm the sort of a rhythm guy, so. That was never a consideration. I almost studied arts, but writing was, you know, it it came a lot easier to me, and I'm pretty fast. And so, yeah, my background was that, and I went to Arkansas State and uh, became a, you know, I was a reporter around the state, the different little newspapers, and uh, I came to Little Rock in mid-90s and was the, you may remember this, Carrie, the editor of the former Little Rock Free Press. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and that was a great introduction uh, for me to, you know, understand how creative the city is and all the artists and writers. Uh, it was really just, I had no idea, and it was it was really revelatory for me to, you know, come to this city and, like, you know, get to really know all these people and all these musicians that were doing such great work. And at the time in the, in the nineties, you know, there was such great, it seemed like little rock could have become the next Austin or something. There was just so much energy because of the Clinton years and all that. And we're still doing really great, but and I'm glad we didn't become the next Austin, <laughs> but uh, little rock has always been uh, so full of creativity. And so it was very, it was easy for me to, to, get into that because I was able to write about music and write about film and art and basically anything I wanted to at a newspaper like Free Press. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Arkansas journalists, musicians, cultural influencers, and power couple Stephanie Smittle and Stephen Cook of the popular radio show Arkansas. Stephen, you do a lot of things. You have many creative outlets. You're an award-winning journalist in both broadcasting and print, the host of Arkansas, journalist for the Arkansas Times Magazine, and I think you've been published in many more places. You're a musician in your band, Arcopolis. You're a cartoonist and author of the 2014 biography book, Lewis Jordan, Son of Arkansas, father of R&B, and your latest endeavor is the involvement in a documentary film for PBS called Music in Arkansas Origins 200 B.C. through 1941. I think that's a very interesting title and date. But let's talk about Arkansas first. How did that come to be? And who was your co-host that you started with? Let's see. This was uh, late 90s, and uh, Keith Merckx, 
who I attended Arkansas State with. He's also a journalist. Uh, he lives in Oklahoma now, uh, but is still a producer of this program. Uh, he and I were co-hosts back at, on KBF, and um, it was really... Louis Jordan was kind of the catalyst for me to do a program like Arkansas. Plus I had this great name, Arkansas. <laughs> and when I was a kid, like I said, I was listening to Louis Jordan and like, wow, this guy's cool. Cause it's great music for kids. And as I got older, I wondered, you know, what sort of legacy was going on in his hometown of Brinkley. And, you know, when I was a child, I would imagine there was a big statue of Louis Jordan and there, of course, was nothing <laughs> for this guy who had 50 top 10 hits and influenced Ray Charles and B.B. King and Chuck Berry, all the people we consider the influences of, of American popular music today. They all were influenced by Louis Jordan. And so I started wondering, you know, if this guy's fallen through the cracks, you know, who else is out there that is, you know, putting down some really uh, groundbreaking music that's from the state and. Um, as a journalist, I did a, I don't know how many part series, you know, of, of Arkansas musicians that I was able to dig up, you know, in different genres. And I had that, and it was sort of a template for all the artists that we could play on a radio program. And around 2002, Keith had left the state, and so uh, I don't know if you guys remember Ron Breeding, a uh, well-known radio journalist, of the era and uh, Ben Fry, they asked me to come over to KUAR and um, reformatted the show to be pre-recorded and to be sort of a segment to fit into public radio uh, day parts. And from there, uh, I've been able to get the show syndicated on all the public radio stations in the state, KUHS in Hot Springs, which is a community radio station, solar powered, the only sol solar powered station in the state, second in the country. Wow. And also KFFA, which is a commercial station, Peabody Award winner in Helena. It's, you know, launched King Biscuit Time, a famous radio station. But anyway, got there and down in El Dorado and over in stations in Louisiana and in East Texas. And so the program's been, you know, something that I'm very proud of and very passionate about. And I'm very glad that people get a chance to hear it, you know, around the state and and even elsewhere, I'm flattered that someone in Texas would ever think to listen to Arkansas. You know what I mean? Mm. Why do you, I read where you made a quote? You re, you said a quote that says you don't have to be dead to be on Arkansas, but it helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's um, you know maybe taking it a little far. You know, I, in the early days, I, I did try to do. I don't want anyone to die. <laughs> but, um, you don't you know, have to um, be dead to be on the show, but it does help. Oh, God. <laughs> um, it, I really like there to be a uh, arc, you know, a story arc that something happened with someone. And uh, I found that, like, when I tried to do, you know, a program on a local popular band, it would quickly go out of date as well, or it would break up or something would happen. And also there were so many uh, unsung heroes of Arkansas music that had passed away and had been from different centuries or different eras that's what kind of drove me to make it a little bit more historical and mm -hmm. and uh, i really love facts and geography and i want to pack all of that stuff i can into an episode are you ever running out of uh people or or uh subject matter for your show 
you know, Carrie, I got to say, I remember someone asked me that 20 years ago. <laughs> like, <laughs> once you've done Glenn Campbell and Johnny Cash, you know, what else can you do? And so I got to say, there's still so many people and so many things I'd like to cover that I hope I can still get around to it. I want to keep doing this for as long as I can, but no, I, I don't see any end in sight. Wow, that's pretty neat. <laughs> How does Arkansas get its name? This was kind of before, I think these are called chimeric words, like Arkansas, Arkansas, and it didn't seem as popular when I came up with it. You know, now you see that a lot, that people will kind of smush two words together, but it was just something clever I came up with. I try to be clever, Carrie. Okay. I thought, <laughs> well, I know you're you're a musician, and I know that Arcopolis is the name of your band, and I do know where that name come from. Can you tell our listeners? You and I were into history, Carrie, so we both know that was the uh, original name for Little Rock was Arcopolis. I just love that. I kind of still <laughs> wish it was that. It's it's really Greek and it's very classical and I liked it. It sounded like a, you know, it's a rocket or something, but it's it's a terrible band name. No one can pronounce it. <laughs> oh so, yeah, well, that's I'm, a mostly good point. Amy Garland was the first person to play our record years ago, and I was like, well, it's exciting. She's fixing to play my music on the radio, and then she stumbled over Arcopolis, and I'm like, well, okay, that's a terrible band name. <laughs> and then, <laughs> That was when I knew. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. So you have an album, yeah. Excruciating Circumstances, and have you made a second album? Well, we've got one almost in the can, and um, one of the songs on this version of this rap song. I actually you know, have a tape of that, so we're going to play a little bit of it. Oh, good. <laughs> Stephen? Yeah, but Little Rock needs to get that in, into their official uh, song category. It's a hit <laughs> waiting to happen. You know, you know... I, when I heard it, I thought this is a song for the city of Little Rock to use. Oh yeah, you know it lists all the neighborhoods. It's clever. It's got you know a good beat. What do you think about it, Stephanie? Oh, it's already a classic. It's already a classic. <laughs> Station, Capitol View, High Hill Crest, O-Niners 2, Kemakville Village, Quapaw Quarter, Downtown and Riverdale, down by the water. Shut up, Station, Capitol View, High Hill Crest, O-Niners 2, Kemakville Village, Quapaw Quarter, Downtown and Riverdale, down by the water. Sand Park Hill, downtown Argenta, and the Old Mill, Levy Lakewood, Amboy, and all of those, College Station East End, and the City of Rose.
So what do you want your legacy to be? You know, that great introduction that you gave at the beginning of the show, I would aspire to, you know, be that person that made uh, all these Arkansas greats well-known to Arkansas's own people. I think you're accomplishing that very well. Um, You've got a new thing coming up, and then we're going to take another break. Quickly, the latest project you're working on is Music in Arkansas Origins, 200 B.C. to 1941. What does that mean? It's really amazing. I hope you can see this when it, it's uh, aired on uh, Arkansas PBS. And uh, this, it really shows how integral the state of Arkansas is to the development of music in the hemisphere, not just in the United States. This was several years in the making, and uh, my uh, partner, Zach McCannon, uh, he worked at uh, Arkansas PBS at the time, and we worked on this for about three or four years. We went to Oklahoma, but we, we, we tracked the, the music of the Quapaw and the Osage. And so a lot of the first part is about, um, you know, we kind of begin at the LaSalle expedition of 1682. Uh, and then we go back to, you know, pre-European settlements. And the first musical instrument we found in the whole Western hemisphere was in Arkansas and in the Hopewell exchange area and uh, a rattle and a pipe. And we don't, of course, know if they use this in a musical sense or in the sense that we know music, but these are musical instruments and they were found in Arkansas and it's the earliest known instruments. I mean, it's really so cool and amazing how Arkansas is sort of this linchpin of, of, of music all around us. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Arkansas musicians, journalists, and culture advocates, Miss Stephanie Smittle and her partner and radio host of Arkansas Songs and historian, Mr. Stephen Cook. We'll be back after the break to hear more from Stephanie Smittle and her band, the Smittle Band. We've got great news from the Dreamland Ballroom. Dancing into Dreamland is back for the 11th year. That's right, 11th annual Dancing into Dreamland happens on February 12th, 2022. They're changing up the formula a bit with a Valentine's Gala right there in the Dreamland Ballroom. Don't worry, all the things you love about the long-standing fundraiser are still in the mix. A real night of revelry in the centenarian structure, culminating around a friendly dance competition. Food, drink, a silent auction. Attendees will have the pleasure of viewing several spectacular dances, and varying genres will fill the night. You'll be able to vote for your favorites via text. It's a very fun evening. Dancing into Dreamland. And not the least important thing is it's a terrific fundraiser for this extraordinary historic venue. A panel of celebrity judges will pick their favorite act, and they'll be awarded a special cash prize. Dancing into Dreamland is back, February 2022. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Arkansas journalist, musician, and power couple, Stephanie Smittle and Stephen Cook of the popular radio show, Arkansas. Before the break, we talked about how those two met in 2010. And now I'd like to talk to Stephanie a little bit about uh, about her band and she at the beginning of the show mentioned that in 2010 she went to an audition or her friend went to an audition and met these guys who were looking for what do you call them stephanie a girl singer they were looking for a girl singer that's right yeah how professional <laughs> i need a girl singer and uh and anyway her friend her friend thought that stephanie would 
be perfect for it. So tell us about the day you went in and uh, met these guys who were looking for the girl singer. At the time, we were um, jamming, uh, and it was truly jamming, by the way, um, very unstructured. We would, it was it was the first situation I think I was in musically where it, it, we could easily play for four hours, and you'd look at the clock, and it felt like 20 minutes had gone by. And um, despite the fact that I was by far the youngest person in the room, I found that uh, pretty quickly that we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of musical affinities in common. Um, I grew up listening to the Beatles, and so we found some common ground there. And I think, like a lot of ensembles, before you can get to the point where you're writing and creating new material together, it helps to kind of find the ground that you both can meet on. And uh, so that was the ground where we could both meet on is things like Lucinda Williams and, and the Beatles and even some old soul stuff, you know, Etta James. And so we, we, uh, we, we started sort of creating out of that. We put out an album called Bright Street in 2010, which is a take on the, the street that I grew up in on in Cave Springs. And then a couple of years later, I met a fabulous musician uh, named John Davies. And John Davies plays bass in uh, in uh, Earl and Them, which is a takeoff of the popular blues rock band, the Kate Brothers. So you may know he's a fabulous bass player. But what I also discovered in becoming friends with him is that he's, he's not just a bass player. He really has a knack for sort of producing and experimenting with sounds. So we went into Wolfman Studios, which is a long-standing sort of staple of the Little Rock recording scene run by Jason Tedford. And we created an album called Tales from Tattletown, which I, I always called it like hymns and uh, sort of fairy tale feel. It's by no means a cohesive album. It feels to me a little bit like each track you're sort of flipping the radio channel to a different radio station. Uh, but it was very fun to make and uh, certainly taught me a lot about sort of the recording process in and of itself. And I'm incredibly grateful to, to John Davies for sort of stretching our, our limits in the studio there. I mean, we used a megaphone, we used a toy piano, uh, we got a, a small choir together. Um, I don't think I like the way toy pianos sound. They kind of grate on my nerves. They remind me of my Children's I was about to say it's too much noise. Mother flash, mothering flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if people would I, like I, that. It is an instrument. It's an instrument that's best in small doses. <laughs> oh, <think>. that's true. <laughs> so, Bright, you did your. You were kind of unusual. I read that the Smittle Band actually wrote songs and produced an album before they ever performed publicly. Is that true? It's true. And honestly, I don't know that we thought that it was supposed to be any other way. You know, it's, 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 really, uh, it's, it's really a gift for me to have fallen in with a group of musicians who cared a lot less about creating a, a sound that was, you know, could be a brand and could be marketable. And they cared a lot more about being um, um, whatever, whatever was coming to them musically at the moment. While I understand the need for um, bands to sort of develop an identity and, and develop a cohesive sound, it certainly wasn't where any of us were at. It was 
you know, we were, we, we might've been flailing, but we were flailing wildly and creatively. And I am, I am very grateful for that. Yeah. It was, it was actually a great experience. By the time we started playing in front of anyone, we had jammed together for so long that we had a lot of flexibility so we could respond. If there were people, you know, getting, getting into the music and dancing, you take it around another time and, it certainly taught me a lot about about stagecraft. A lot of which was honed at a bygone spot called the Afterthought, which Aww. was up uh, in Hill, mm-hmm. Hillcrest on the corner of Kavanaugh and Beechwood. And uh, although I I hear the nostalgia in your sighs, mm-hmm. I really Aww. do, and I feel it, and I, <laughs> I I have that nostalgia too. But I will also say that as much as we miss uh, that vibe at the Afterthought and the jazz, it's still out there. It's just spread out. There, there are go. all these little uh, great jazz projects all over the city. Jazz at the Joint over in North Little Rock is fabulous. Um, there is a free Jazz in the Park series over summer at Riverfront Park. So it's out there and to be found. So what, while I share your nostalgia for the afterthought, you know, it's sort of caught up in all of these other places. And South on Maine. <laughs> sure, yeah, South on Maine, absolutely. Your music has been called by the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Jazzy Americana, and another review called it Genre Hopping. What do you call it? I think Genre Hopping is, is fair. Uh, I have a habit, a questionable habit of saying yes to a lot of different styles of music. And uh, I'm maybe comfortable being a chameleon in that way. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense to me that one, uh, if if your voice can can have different colors, then I think it's okay to explore those different colors, and I think it's okay to sort of uh, find where they might fit. You know, uh, this this style of singing that I use when I'm doing sacred chant with Grady at Trinity Episcopal and creating these lovely, like, 16th century, like, polyphonic works is a very different style than I would use when I'm singing with the Klezmer band. But both styles feel like me. Uh, Both of those voices feel like me. You are really right on when you say that you're a chameleon because some of the bands I've read that you sang with Southern Sludge Metal and Iron Tongue folk music and Meshuggah band sacred music as you just mentioned Cantor and Corster at the Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Christchurch featured soloist at the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra that's a big variety and if anybody wants to, I mean, very big. One of the clips that you sent me, a YouTube video you sent me that I really enjoyed, you sent me two of them. One of them was Funny How the Money. And I thought mm-hmm. it really showed how soft and delicate your voice could be and also how strong it could be in that song. Well, th- thank you. I am actually sitting in the very same chair, in the very same spot, that I wrote that song in right now. <laughs> I remember it. it was, I was looking at the Capitol and uh, there were some of us uh, had gone down to, to protest a bill that we felt like we should protest. And so that song came out of that. The video itself is formed, uh, was, was filmed at by a really talented videographer named Samuel Pettit. We filmed it at, and it's actually an outtake. We weren't there to perform that song, but we went down to the, 
Albert Pike Masonic Lodge, which was at the time just sort of starting to dip its toe into uh, having more of the public come in and see this amazing, hallowed, gorgeous space. And somehow or another, I lucked my way into uh, being able to film uh, another song there called Embassy, which Samuel Pettit did for us. And we're getting ready to pack up and leave. We had a little bit of time. And so I said, hey, I've got this little kind of protest piece. Do do we have time to, to take this? So with Walker, the, the guitarist in that video, uh, set up. We set up a couple of chairs and we faced them backward on the on the stage. It was the stage where later opera and the rock and Arkansas Symphony Orchestra would do the magic flute, Mozart's magic flute. So it's that very same stage and an incredibly amazing. If you've if you've ever been in the Albert Pike Masonic Temple, you know exactly what I mean. The, the whole place is just charged. Mm-hmm. There's just an energy in the whole place, and so we filmed funny how the money there. And uh, that's that's still stayed with me. I've still got it in my pocket. Good. Let's play it. Big Mr. Real McCoy. He's just like a little boy. Putting up a polish on all of his toys. Counts all his money, too. Count it till his face turned blue. Until he hits a million, a million and ten. Count it all over again Funny how the money, how it's never enough Funny how we're keeping the score Mr. Money wears a honey lake on his cuff Hides his money under the floor Sister Sally washes his clothes She trims the little hairs in his nose Keeps his kitchen clean with a garden hose Leaves out a quarter to five To keep a little habit alive She marks the ace of diamonds and though it's a sin She says a ship is gonna come in Funny how the money does a vanishing act Levitates and then disappears Read a little closer, it's in your contract Call us at the end of the year Looking out the window at home I can see the Capitol Dome Every year they count up whatever we own Put it in a piggy bank Make another military tank To keep the peace and quiet We've come to adore Who could ask for anything more? Funny how the money gets a shifting around Funny how it moves to the top Bill you will the day that put your bones in the ground Money, money never stops Speaking of operas, uh, you played Virginia Clinton in Bonnie Montgomery's opera, Billy Blythe. Tell us about that. I did. That was a, a, a great privilege because it's not very often that you get to perform the work of a living composer, and it's even less often that you get to perform the work of a composer who you know and, and who, um, you know, who, who you admire. I mean, what a thrill to get to sing Arkansas Story, uh, you know, brought into life by an Arkansas opera company by an Arkansas-based composer. 
I mean, I just I think that this uh, this opera has a, a life beyond Bill Clinton's story and beyond Arkansas. I hope a lot of people find it. It's it's really a it's really a a true sort of um, you know early American style of um, intimate opera. And I've I've loved seeing it staged. I've seen it staged a couple different ways, and I, I've loved it most when it's when it's really intimate and um, it's just it's a beautiful story. The books behind it are are beautiful, and uh, I love Bonnie's work. I was so thrilled to be a part of that. Stephanie, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Stephen. What do you want your legacy to be? Well, I hope it's not over yet. Well, um, I do too. But, but, but you know, <laughs> when it is, <laughs> or you could have a legacy while you're living. I guess can't you? You know, I I have to say. Just on on a on a personal note, part of what I'm starting to feel um, in terms of like legacy and the responsibility of a legacy isn't the music that I'm creating publicly so much as it is um, with my family. So I have a brother who has um, he and his wife have six children, and they have started to pick up instruments of their own. And so I, while I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that I am uh, the reason that they are picking up instruments or singing, um, there are many wonderful people in their lives supporting them in their, in their musical endeavors. But it's, that's, that's honestly the first thing that comes to mind when you, when you say that is just the thought of my niece mm-hmm. at the piano making a video on her phone that's so tender and so mm-hmm. true and, and, and so smart and so honest. And um, if I just like had one tiny piece of that was uh, was was, you know, a result of my influence, then that would make me wildly happy. You know, that's what we talk about is that all successful people have the heart of a teacher. They really do. This is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Arkansas musicians journalists and culture advocates miss stephanie smittle and her partner and radio host of arkansas mr stephen cook we'll be back after the break tell me how this makes you feel proud and patriotic right Flag and Banner is proud to offer American-made U.S. flags, military flags, historical flags, even nautical flags, and so much more. Come see our showroom at 800 West 9th Street in downtown Little Rock. And check our website, flagandbanner.com. Doesn't matter what the style is. The song always brings up the same emotions. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light. Flag and Banner downtown so on 9th Street and online at flagandbanner.com. Everything you need. You're listening to Up in Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking today with Arkansas journalist, musician, and power couple Stephanie Smittle and Stephen Cook of the popular radio show Arkansas. Let's talk about some of the music legends of Arkansas. We've talked a lot about Louis Jordan and how his work influenced. Uh, James Brown, Chuck Berry, and Ray Charles. And we've talked a little bit about Rosetta Tharp, but we haven't talked about Levon Helm. Is the, uh, He was in the band. He died not very long ago, and I think Kevin Cressy made a statue of a bust of him, a bronze yeah. bust. I heard that there was a conflict between <laughs> Robbie Robertson and Levon Helm for who wrote the songs. There was a little, and still is a lot of uh, bad blood, but... I will say I 
got the privilege of knowing Levon, and I remember, you know, we talked about, he mentioned sort of that in his autobiography, and he was not a bitter guy. I'll put it that way. You know, he was a dude that loved life, and they say, don't meet your heroes, but I met him and got to know him, and he was a fantastic guy. And so you guys talk about legacy. Um, he left not such a such a great musical legacy, but a legacy of, of kindness and, and generosity towards people. And he's just, he's, you know, justifiably well-loved in Arkansas. And someone I've been kind of studying on uh, for some future episodes of Arkansas is his mentor. Um, I know this is a show you like to talk about the, uh, the power of mentoring and uh, passing uh, legacies on in that in that way, and kudos to you for doing that. And, and this guy Henry Glover, who's from Hot Springs, Arkansas, is someone I've been doing a lot of research on. And he died in 1991, but he was Levon's mentor. He was a great songwriter and producer in the 40s, and he was the first guy to record uh, Levon and the Hawks uh, in the early 60s and late 50s. And he wrote the song uh, California Sun. He wrote. Drowning My Own Tears. He pr produced the original version of The Twist. He produced wow. the original version of Fever. Uh, he was a great behind-the-scenes person, but he became, uh, he was Levon's mentor. Uh, Conway Twitty, of course, everybody knows. Glenn Campbell, Al Green, Johnny Cash. But this was one I saw in your bio. Cult leader Tony Alamo did a oh, yeah. stint as a musician. Where, where did you find that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, um, he had the cult and Alma, um, but he was also uh, very interested in music. I mean, I have I have some of his records, and so that to me is like a great Arkansas story. He was obviously a repellent man, but the fact that he recorded music makes it very interesting for an Arkansas episode. Yeah, was he any good? Just before we move on, was he any good? Um, what did he play? No. <laughs> no, uh, he's he saying he may have played stuff, but I mean, to me, that could still be a you know, even if it's bad, you it's know, interesting. The, my radio show is, is only it's only seven and a half minutes long. I said, you know, it's just a segment. So even if it's someone that's bad, it can still be an interesting story, <laughs> something fun to listen to. So, Stephen, <laughs> if I just wanted to go and listen to a bunch of Arkansas episodes, is there a website I can just go and on Arkansas dot org? There's I have hundreds of episodes and a lot of them are online uh you can just listen to on demand so it's arkansongs.org and you just i'm going to go listen right. to them on demand yeah. i can do seven and a half minutes of anything for a long time <laughs> stephanie how <Yeah>. about you <laughs> stephanie how about you if we want to go hear your music where should we go you know they make they make it pretty easy this day these days so if you if you type in um stephanie smittle or smittle band you will find me um, a great place to find what I'm uh, working on and doing is just to follow me on Instagram. I'm just at Stephanie Smittle and also on Facebook, just under Stephanie Smittle. And I, I promise, I solemnly swear, I'll, I'll keep you in the loop. Being an artist is a haphazard career. This is my last question. It's always moving and changing. When you look back at your career, both of you, is there a missed opportunity that if you had been a little bit older and wiser, you might not have missed? I've been going through boxes um, recently, and I found some old journals. I was a 
uh, Australian exchange student. And uh, since, you know, I used to, I did travel writing back in the day, so I got to travel to a lot of places, but my first international trip was when I was had just turned 17, and I was reading this journal, and I was very disappointed in my 17-year-old self for not fully taking advantage of those opportunities and sort of waiting for things to happen to me rather than trying to make things happen. So I looked at that, and I realized I couldn't be too hard on my <laughs> teenage self, but also, I think having had that experience and then, you know, it helped me to travel alone and all the other places I got to go. But, yeah, I wish I'd taken more advantage. And it was really just, uh, you know, the tragedy of youth mm-hmm. and inexperience. Mm-hmm. How about you, Stephanie? You know, I have those. I probably have a list, a mental list of those that's a little bit more handy and, and readily available to, to me to recall uh, the then maybe it even should be. And and honestly, I try not to, to dwell too much on that because I know myself and I know that there are also opportunities that I did say yes to when I, I wasn't ready. And when I look at those opportunities, those are some of the things that um, introduced me to someone that, that ended up being a real creative mentor to me or introduced me to an experience that... Um, you know, definitely looking back, I, I would have said, oh, I wasn't ready. I needed to perfect that, and I needed to hone that, and I needed for it to be a little bit more polished before it went out into the world. But the reality is, like, you're just really never ready, <laughs> and so you, you just kind of mm-hmm. got to do it. Um, at least for, for myself, um, I have to fight the tendency to hold on to a song, for example, until I think it's ready. Because if we're waiting until I think it's ready, we're going to be waiting too long, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's just a, there's a power in in being vulnerable, and there's a power in saying yes to things that you might not feel like you are equipped with all the tools to do. Because honestly, like some of the times, you just develop those tools on the fly in, in the moment. And that's a good skill to have, too. Talking to all of us, though. <laughs> Thank you, Stephanie Smittle and Stephen Cook, for preserving and promoting Arkansas arts and culture and for sharing your stories with our listeners today. You are both treasures for Arkansas. Oh, thank you, Carrie. In closing, to our listeners. Thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. For links to resources you heard discussed on today's show, go to flagandbanner.com, select radio, and choose today's guest. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, contact me, Gray, at flagandbanner.com. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.